Hello and welcome to Stage Milk Acting Conversations. I'm Andrew Hurl and this is episode six of the podcast. Today I'm chatting with Donald Woodburn, who many of you may know, some of you may not. I don't know the exact ratios because I don't get that information. Um, but Donald is a friend of mine. He was a teacher, a voice teacher at the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts, which is one of the top drama schools here in Australia. And he taught me while I was at drama school, and I really wanted him on the podcast because he has such a great great way of looking at voice. He's such a detective. I remember meeting up with him for, for shoots, and he would sort of always seem to have a new theory about voice every time I... Um, would meet up with him for a chat, and I really, um, I really respect that about him. He really, um, it's like he wants to find the gold, and and he has such passion, passion for working with actors, and also for for voice work, which is awesome. Um, so I pick his brain about his sort of approach to voice, and I think we've got some very awesome insights. If you haven't, if you're not familiar with Donald's Wood. Yeah, where, the, where is my voice? That's what I want to know. Um, if you're not familiar with uh, Donald's work or even voice work in general, if you're new to acting, um, this is a great starting point. So I hope you enjoy my chat with the one and only Donald Woodburn. Donald, why is swearing important for actors? Well, Andrew, for, for me, one of the things that, that I find is that when an actor or, or a politician or anyone actually who's practicing something practices it without any swearing in it, there, there's this kind of incredible sense of um, politeness. Usually, um, if they, they'll be working off some kind of script and there's this adherence to all the rules of um, sort of early education and, and notions around early learning in relation to text, and so, so I find that, that the swearing is kind of th this thing that breaks them out of that formality and into an informality. And, and also when people swear, they, they tend not to use um, a kind of polite form of speech. So it sort of deals with two areas at once. It, it smashes the um, formality of the written text and it takes the person away from their public voice more into their kind of private responsive voice. So th that would be my, like, literally in a nutshell, the, the mm. primary function of it um, in terms of that. There, there, there would then there'd be a lot of other things that, that came up as well, which we'll, we'll talk through as the, as the interview goes on. So why, or, is, well, why is, yeah. is this idea of, for you, getting out of politeness preferable to being polite and being formal? Well, well if, I, if you go back to the structure of language, so if, if we take... That this language that we speak back to a time when we lived in a world that wasn't literate, where most people used their language, their daily speech was kind of an, an expressive form of self. It wasn't, it wasn't governed by literature or, um, you know, the rule. It, it was, it, yeah, the, the, the kind of formal rules of speech didn't exist as much as they do today. So people, let me, let me try and think what I'm trying to say. I think when you look back at that early speech, what what you find is a much closer relationship to the emotional investment in words, the onomatopoeic relationship to words, um, 
so so there's a more immediate integral speech experience happening when we when we let go of all those rules and we kind of head delve back into the language and delve back into what we're actually how we're using the word and why we're saying that word in that particular moment um so i mean if you get anyone to to just say um get a list of of nouns and write them down and, and then you you put like so if it's house and then they say fucking house somehow the way that they use that word house has shifted because of the vowels uh, because of the swearing that's gone in there so there's some tendency to tidy the language disappears and if you say that sort of four or five times before that noun and then you just come back at the end of the swearing and just say the noun that the relationship to that noun has been shifted significantly mm. and it sort of moved away from some sort of formal social acceptable form into into a different realm and i'm not saying one is right or one is wrong i, I think what i'm saying is that as an actor or as a public speaker you should be trying to discover your entire instrument and anything that's that's shackling that anything that's holding that back is unhelpful to you would you in, say in in your overall exploration of your own of your own potential is what i'm saying once you found your potential how you choose to use it is your business but it's 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 really important i think for your average person to find the full complexity of their voice so in voice work in general like you say for i mean this is for individuals as well but for for actors in particular if you had to put in a nutshell your sort of philosophy on voice would it be this sort of unshackling is it about letting go it's about letting what what would perhaps naturally be there would you say that you, you see voice yeah yeah i i would actually andrew i think i think what i when a, if i try and work out what it is that i've been doing because it's 20 years now literally the first time i started teaching was 20 years ago almost to the day actually so um what how, how do i how do i when do i start i think that every single one of us is a competent communicator in a certain circumstance so whether it's with a lover or a parent or a best mate or someone there's somewhere in our lives that that we communicate effectively and efficiently and my focus has very extensively been when you're in a classroom with only 15 or you know 10 to 20 people in a room and you work with those people over a period of time you have the opportunity to sort of catch glimpses of their personal selves either telling a story after a great weekend or they've just got, you know survived a car accident or something like that and they're talking about it and you suddenly hear this really dynamic engaged voice and I'm always fascinated in in why it is that actors kind of leave that voice outside the rehearsal room instead of bringing it in. And so a lot of my work has been about trying to find those moments and say to the actor, could you bring that skill into the rehearsal room? Could you bring that into your reading of the text? Could you bring that into your um you, you know what whatever it is you're doing in the room? Like how can we get that out of you more frequently? And so I I sort of shine a light on that. and then try to expand the size of that voice. So I go from a place where it's already working and grow it rather than working in deficit with the voice. So that so makes sense. Do you think do you think a lot of actors have a, a sort of idea of what a good voice is or they think they have to put on a voice? Yeah, is that a problem yeah, you work with dead and they they definitely do. I mean there's all sorts of um defaults to sort of a received pronunciation standard or towards a a sort of neater tidier version of their own voice or 
they lock into some kind of resonance and they try and drive that resonance through something so that there's just always warmth in the voice. And so all of those things seem to kind of edit out the ability of the voice to be dynamic, to shift, to be more expressive. And, and it's, it's, you know, I think it's really important that an actor discovers the dynamic range of their voice rather than just a simple aspect of their voice that they then sort of lean on too strongly. So where, where do you think actors are getting this from? Because, you know, more and more we're watching TV and films, um, which one would imagine is more natural than perhaps people who... No, I, I don't with, agree. No? A lot of Hollywood film is spoken under voice, so there's this kind of whispered delivery. And again, that's not how we talk to each other in real life. And if someone did talk to you like that in real life, you'd say to them, come on, mate, like, who are you? Right, so you're dealing you know, with both ends of the spectrum in the, the whispered yes, and, the very, and then also the... Perhaps, yeah, the RP, the over, you know, overpronounced. The overarticulated, right. the mm. underarticulated. There's, there's this kind of almost, I, I almost feel like an actor, in order to feel like they're being a different character, feels that they must shift away from themselves quickly rather than exploring the life of that character within their own context, within their own body, within their own vocal potential. So they're, they're kind of limited. It's like they, they try and prove difference rather than similarity. But, but to kind of, you were talking about what we watch and what we're not watching. I, I think the fact that we watch a lot of sport, that we watch a lot of sports programs, that we watch a lot of reality television, is actually the audience's desperate desire to hear things spoken that, that sound more immediately like the world that they actually live in rather than this um, overproduced or, or, yeah, an overproduced version of self. Do you think because in that, in that moment, perhaps if you're in a, middle of an AFL game, you're not thinking about how you sound. If you score a goal, that is as natural as it gets. You're, you're releasing a, a primal sound get, in a way. You also get, it's that. It's the fact that you're operating on adrenaline. It's that you're operating in excitement. It's that you're covered in muck because you've been tackled the whole of the time. You've got bruises and grazes on you. You're starting to get tired by the end of, but, you know, once you've run quite a bit in that match, you there's no longer any energy to waste on appearance and presentation because the task is more important than than the presentational form that you kind of adopting. So for me, it's all of that, and the fact that it's it. <laughs> you know, there's a whole language in sport that's not about adhering to to the tidiness of of public speaking, really. So how they're swearing. In truth, I mean, let's be honest, the, sport, the sports field and the sports stadium is a place of swearing. Mm. I, I find it interesting, above and beyond anything, I mean, I've traveled a little bit around the world, not all around the world, but my goodness me, Australians swear. And, they, you know, they swear a lot and they swear very publicly. They swear in buses, they swear in bars, they swear in the streets. And, and so when we get into the, into the television theater or political spectrum, for some reason, that very element that has become quite an integral part of their, of their daily lives is suddenly being asked to be shut off in order to be socially acceptable. And, and I find it weird, you know, and, and I, I know I spoke to you about the Billy Connolly quote, but, you know, whether or not this is actually exactly how he said it, but where it says a lot of people say that it's a lack of vocabulary that makes you swear. He says rubbish. I know thousands of words, but I still prefer fuck. Mm. And, and, and I suppose that that's really a, about a man saying that it gives him a permission to engage with the language energetically outside of the rules of politeness and we live in a very impolite world you know like I, I we, we live in a place where you know if you're dealing with theater 
what what is theatre? What is film? It's about it's about life and death. It's about people taking advantage of other people. It's about people struggling for their freedom. It's about people in distress. Now, I, you know, my experience of a world in those circumstances is not one where people behave politely. And just to take it to the absolute extreme, I mean, you've got Donald Trump at the moment, you know, on on television in front of the world behaving quite badly. And and look at the, I mean, it appalls me, but look at the popularity. Look look mm. at what it wakes up in in a class of people who've not been participating in the political system. There's something potent in it. Mm. And I think to avoid it is to miss the potential to, to touch an audience. And unfortunately, in that Donald Trump example, he's waking up an audience that I find quite um, distasteful in terms of their politics. But I, I think as a, as a theatre person and as a film person, we should be asking ourselves why, we, why we're ignoring that audience. So, you, you know, like mm -hmm. when you do a like train spotting, it's, you, you wake up a whole new group of people. When you do something like Sex in the City, you wake up a, a new audience. You talk to them in a way that suddenly for a moment feels a bit closer to self. Mm. So for an actor, how do you begin to untidy? How do you begin to get rid of that? Uh, I think you have to make hero. a conscious effort at every single moment of the day. You go, am I standing up too straight? Am I holding, you know, am I trying to stay in my alignment too perfectly? You know, am I trying to, what am I containing? How am I containing my, my articulation? How am I, like, what, what am I doing that's, that's neatening me rather than untidying me? You can always tidy up later mm. if you need to. Like, if it's more appropriate for your character to be well-spoken, I, I, I think that you've got to find the essence of the, of the drama and the dialogue before you find the tidiness. If you start with the tidiness, adding the drama is harder mm. because you, 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 you've got to pack the inside of the person where all those explosive emotions live. You know, you've got to get that ignited and then shape around that, I think. Mm. Um, so, so anything, anything that creates an untidiness, a roll with the text, push each other around with the text, you know, speak with a mouthful of food, swear, mm. um, you know, break the rules. Don't, don't look at the person face on, bounce, you know, wash dishes while talking to a person. Do something, do something mm. that breaks the rules, something that takes you towards the way we use our bodies in real life. And do you think... Do you think outside of, of acting and working on the text or working on a scene or a monologue, do you think there is a part that is about doing that in your day-to-day -day life? It is about becoming someone who is willing to put their opinion forward or willing to, um, you know, because there's so much we are sort of, especially as actors, we're not wanting to put ourselves out there too much and we hold on to so much. Do you think as a person it's about doing that or do you think just when it gets to, um, to the rehearsal room it's about... Um, Look, I mean, that's such a that's a really philosophical question because I imagine that Billy Connolly can be neat and tidy and, and polite if he needs to be and not when he doesn't. So I, I think that, you know, I, I never want to change the way a person is in their life. I mean, that's their own personal life story. But I but I do think that if, if we if we put if, if we ask that question slightly differently, can you run around on a field practicing footy without getting mucky? No, I don't think you can. But does that mean that when you leave the field, you have to be mucky all the time outside in the real world? You, you know, it's, it's, you as an actor need to really continuously keep navigating between is this serving my exploration of text and performance and, and is this having a detrimental effect in my life? 
if your parents are going to stop speaking to you because you've become a rude bastard, then it's probably not the best thing for you to do because, you know, you might actually want to continue a relationship with them. But if you don't give a shit, then, you know, like that, that but that's a personal choice, I think. Hmm. Well, I think where, I'm, where I was kind of going is you said this great thing to me when, um, when I was at Whopper and you, you were teaching there. Um, how much voice is connected to thoughts and connected to your body and how it's, how it's all intertwined. Um, and thinking about whether you can, if you can get to what we're sort of talking about, an untidy or a natural voice or an open voice in your personal life and in your own life, surely when you, you turn up at the rehearsal, you know, the rehearsal room or you're on stage, it's, you're not switching it on. Uh, like, are you advocating, do you think that it is something that you... you Look, I, I personally think it's it's easier for the actor if they can get it into their own life. Sure. But, 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 I, but again, you see, I don't think a one-size-fits-all solution is always appropriate. You might have somebody who just is incredibly polite and well-behaved, but is actually drawn to acting because they can they give themselves a period of time during the day in which they can be untidy. And that may be enough for them. That, that the thrill in the theatre experience might be in the untidying in the rehearsal room and not the untidying in life. Mm. But I think that that depends very much on the individual. I, mm. yeah. yeah, but sure. I do think it's, I think it's important for people to, to, to work out why they're being tidy in their lives. I think people need to know who they are and, and what they are. And if that's a personal choice, then it's okay. But if you're just behaving in that manner because a parent or a society has told you to do that, then, then challenging it for a bit to find out whether or not it's what you really believe or don't believe is, is useful. Mm. So outside certainly, of this... Yeah, sorry. Certainly during a three-year program, if you're in a theatre context where, you, where you're in class for nine hours a day and in rehearsals in the evening at home, etc., the opportunity to muck your life up a little bit more and get a bit dirty and, and, and gritty in your own life without it offending too many people exists. So, you know, it's like, it, it just depends. I mean, I'm not going to tell someone to do it if it's going to ruin their marriage. Mm. But, but if they're going to be exploring it and they're, and they're in the kind of um, the, the, the cooking of the acting process through a three-year program, then, then if they can, I'd, I'd advise them to. Mm. And, and outside of, of this idea of, which I think is a fantastic idea, of, and getting rid of all these kind of things that we hold on to when we're speaking is, is great. Um, do you think there's, is that the other elements of voice, the more sort of classical things you might learn at drama school or in a voice class, articulation, um, you know, resonance and all those that, that seem to get like broken, sort of compartmentalized in classes. Do you think a lot of those are solved with this philosophy or do you still think, I, do you still I think, think that specific, they are. yeah? No, no, I think, I think a lot of them are solved by it. I mean, when I listen to somebody getting, getting heated, usually the articulation improves because they care about what they're saying. Mm. Usually the articulation improves because they know who they're saying it to and why they're saying it. So I, I think that a lot of poor articulation in the, in the rehearsal room is about the fact that the actor doesn't quite know why they're using that language. They don't quite know who they're talking to. So they haven't fired up a reason for their, to say those words and they, haven't, they don't care enough about their scene partner to affect them as in to, to land that vitriol or passion on their scene partner. So th very often it, it, you kind of, you've got to work at it from both ends. Like you've got to, 
you've got to be able to say to the person, well, if you played um, an RP character, you need to be able to get that tongue tip articulation working. So that person needs to do it, but not, but not to do it as the as a default or default. How are we going to say it? You know, it's for me, it's it's got to be an understanding of the voice rather than a plucking on of rules. Mm. So I'm continuously in my work trying to get the actor to understand the greater potency of their voice, the greater context of social communication, and the so that they're, they're building it in that context. It's not about just speaking nicely, mm. if that makes sense. I don't want clean speech for clean speech sake. Mm. You know, you might need to be able to do clean, clear speech if you're playing a character that speaks like that. But how many do? So you'd also, so which is basically going, you know, potentially saying the people, you could do a voice warm up for an hour every day or every morning while at drama school or, you know, while working as an actor. And if you're not putting into practice the ideas, you're not really knowing who you're talking to or why you're saying it, none of that voice work is going to be there. Well, bits of it will be there because it becomes a new muscular habit. Mm. But, but the big question is, like, it, it's the marrying of those two edges, you know, bring them towards the middle. And I'm trying to get those two bits to, to blend into something that's more organic in terms of the way that it shifts is really what we're aiming for, because there's no 100% right or wrong. There's there's certainly the way I like to work versus the way that, say, another voice coach might wish to work. And both can be... You, I, I'm not going to say that every person that I've ever trained necessarily should be trained using my methodology, but I can't teach with the same passion if I'm not teaching something that fundamentally excites me. So it really is about, I, I think, I mean, it's much easier to kind of work this out in a singing context because lots of different people will change a singing teacher because they go and see one once a week for a lot of their life. And they, they keep moving until they've found the fit that suits their voice type and their personality type and their ambition. And so I think that an actor should really be looking for that relationship. And if you're lucky enough to be in a drama school where there are two, three or four voice coaches you should kind of lean towards the style that serves your personal development the most. I mean, no question about that. Mm. Um, and as a voice coach, I think you should be teaching to your strengths. And so, you know, I think a lot of my strength lies in the fundamental um, perceptual purpose of voice and in that early discovery and sort of finding all these untidy bits that you have been ignoring I think that that's a lot of that a lot of my strength as a as a voice coach lies in that realm. Mm. So we have people listening to this from various stages in their in their career. People who maybe are at drama school um, before going to drama school, or or professional actors who have or have not um, trained, perhaps at a formal institution. Um, maybe starting at the beginning. If you're wanting to be an actor, uh, maybe trying to get into a drama school or just trying to get work as an actor, what would you say to improve on voice and to work with your voice are the most important things to do? What would be the practical um, advice you would give to an actor starting out? Wow. Um, that's, a, that's so difficult, Andrew, because if, if you say to an actor, you've got to 
go with your gut instincts and move into the rehearsal process. They could hurt themselves getting overly passionate on, on, on poor technique. Um, so it, that, again, that, that's going to be a tough one. Um, you mean if you mean diving straight into maybe putting yourself? Yeah, in I think a, if in a, dives into something too passionate because they want to audition with a big piece, that mm. they, they could hurt themselves. You know, if you're doing that piece over and over again for a couple of months before your audition. So it's it's a tough one. But do you think? But, but I, so would you I recommend think, finding, you know, maybe finding a voice coach and doing some weekly lessons, or is it about I starting? That, I definitely think someone who's auditioning should should work with a couple of directors should go and run their piece by a voice coach should, should and look for a reputable voice coach who's you, you know that that you've heard works in certain schools or whatever and is and, and you know that they do private lessons and you you go and see someone like that that you know is is running a fairly safe practice um so that you so that you're learning something about vocal um technique so as not to damage yourself hmm. um which definitely show people. I mean, my advice to students always when they say to me, what, what do we need to do for an audition? I say to them, can you get five to ten different people to direct you differently in that piece? And can you stand up in that room and let them redirect you and go with their ideas completely? Because that's what's going to happen in the audition room. When I'm there, I'm going to ask you to do something completely different to what you planned. And if that throws you off center because you haven't thought about your, your, your piece in a more complex manner... Um, you know, then we're going to see a lack of flexibility. And if so, the piece is changing, the voice as well will be will be changing with it. The voice will be changing with every interpretation, and that's really what you're looking for is a flexibility. And when you get the actor who thinks, but I have to speak politely because this is good English that I'm using and I need to hold on to that, again, the, the, the inflexibility starts to reveal itself. Mm. And And... And that's, you know, that's fine because if you have a flash of something extraordinary in that audition, you're going to notice it if you're worth your salt. But it's, but it does, it, you really do as an actor want to get in that room and be flexible and open to play, to playfulness and re-exploration of the piece. You don't want to lock your, your choice down and, 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 you know, sort of cling to it. Mm. And many of these lessons are the same, perhaps for actors at different stages. But if you're maybe coming out of drama school or you're working you know, maybe you've learned this stuff, like someone like myself who trained at a drama school for three years. Yeah. I, speaking to actors um, who've graduated, um, I think voice training is the one thing that it's so easy um, to ignore. I think it's the first thing to go out of the practice of a drama school, you know, because a lot of us are, I, are getting up and doing a half an hour warm up. And I think when you yeah. start to, you get out in the industry, that can very quickly go. Um do you think that's important to be doing something every day, or do you think it's yeah, about? Yeah, I do think you should. You know? I do think you should be doing something every day. Um, and I've had this kind of conversation with a couple of people to go, "What would you do? What wouldn't you do?" I mean, I can't sing, so I can't do scales or something like that just to keep, you know, to keep the folds fit. Um, I, so that that's hard for me. But if you're if you're somebody who can sing and you've got a reasonable amount of good breath technique. Just doing the scales every day for 10 minutes would be a pretty good start for just keeping a responsive range in your voice. Mm. Um, I would then say that doing lots of things throughout the day rather than one 15-minute or one half-an-hour warm-up. 
is useful. So if you know a, a piece that you love or a piece of poetry that you speak frequently or a rhyme that works, like to sit in solemn silence or whatever, just to remind yourself to say it two or three times a day so that you just keeping those ideas and that kind of structure around your work alive mm. in your process. Have you had the experience? Quite honestly, Andrew, if you, you, you know, if you wanted to participate in the world of sport, you stay fit. And I think one of the things that a lot of actors don't get to do is to realize that theater is a physical, acting is a very physical activity. One needs to keep one's body, voice, mind, and imagination fit. And so it should really be, anyone who takes themselves really seriously would be doing something in that regard to keep themselves fit. Absolutely. So, uh, so you, you know, so my advice is like commit, commit like a sports person. Have you had the experience where you've seen a student um, that you've trained and then maybe seen them in a professional production either on stage or uh, on film perhaps years later? And seen seen how that voice worked. Do you, have you in those experiences have you seen that people tend to to keep it, or do you feel that without the structure of drama? School? No, I think once Andrew, I must say that I think once people have got knowledge, if that knowledge is embedded and they understand the benefit of it, if they've felt the benefit of it, I think that the attitude to sound, the attitude to communication remains, and so they're generally better. Mm. You know, they're generally getting up on stage or on, or in front of the camera with with a set of skills that might be rusty, but they're still skills. So I, I can usually tell on when I'm watching a film or, or a television series who the untrained actor is and who the trained actor is. Mm. Um, you know, you, you, get a, you get some sort of sense of it. And sometimes that training, if it's been very formalized and very um, sort of tidy, you look at them and you go, oh, mate, can't you just relax in front of a camera? You know, like it, it can work against you as well. Mm. Um, but no, I, I think most of them hold on to that training. Mm. It's not it's it's not something like opera where you would just fall off the radar if you didn't carry on practicing. You know, I think that it's that, that there's a little bit more leeway in the world of acting. Mm. But but that's the problem because then a lot of people let themselves off the hook too much. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's individual. I think it's so personal. If you're an actor who's truly got it and, and just every day is kind of working and, and exploring or you pick up text and you read it or you hear somebody talking or you and you listen to the, to the structure of their communication or the, how they reveal themselves, if, you know, if that acting brain and ear is permanently alive, then, then there should be some sort of residue of, of a three-year training program that continues to shape one's thinking through through the through one's professional practice mm. do you think you mentioned before um about screen acting from a voice perspective what do you see as the difference if any between acting on stage and on screen from a sort of vocal perspective? i, I don't think there should be a difference because i think talking is talking speaking mm. is speaking um so when i watch an actor on stage over deliver that's not talking anymore. That's producing a big voice for the sake of a big voice. And when I see someone on film kind of deliberately reducing their voice like that, that's also no longer, I, I don't recognize either of those practices as how people talk to each other. So to me, I go, mm, what are they doing? Because now they're kind of signaling the form that they're in. 
So, so when you see a good stage actor who's also a good screen actor, I think there's a lot to be said for for the for their work. Mm. You know, it's 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 very clear that Judy Dench knows what she's doing. You, you know, there's some people that you just look at them, and you go, oh, they're, they're not mumbling. They're, they're clear. They know what they're saying. They're, they're, they're in the moment of telling the other person what they think. I think and, actually, and that's I think it's quite so, important. It's an, incredible, it's an incredible point because it's so... Yeah, I think the obvious uh, way people see it is, yeah, they, there's this expectation that film is small, so with that comes a small voice and with that comes perhaps, you know, as you say, a sort of off voice or an unvoiced whisper almost a lot of the time. And on stage, people feel, oh, I'm filling a 500-seat auditorium. I've got to project. And in both cases, you can miss the fact that you're actually just having a conversation always, even if yeah. it's with the audience. It's and, a conversation. And even in that notion of just having a conversation, you see, I do believe that in real life, people, when they get passionate or excited about something, their volume increases, but it, it increases, it doesn't, we don't get loud in order to project, we just get loud because our passion is driving us. So it's almost like the, the intensity grows in the space between the two people talking rather than deliberately growing to fill the room. But of course, if some two people are speaking a bit louder than somewhere else, you get on a train, public transport, and two people are having a conversation that fills the whole carriage they're not trying to fill the whole carriage they just are mm. and so it's really you, you know I, th I think a lot of voice training is about understanding the complexity and flexibility of the human instrument and it should be about an, an interest in that in the totality of the vocal experience rather than just in articulation or volume etc one should really be investigating the instrument because it's such a fundamental part of of your acting tool mm. and like with acting do you think because I, I found training and I think a lot of people did is there's so much sort of flooded with information that you you start acting and you're thinking about all the technical stuff and would you sort of yeah. agree that when you're acting both from a voice perspective and from an acting perspective it's about letting it all go and kind of your philosophy which you know we're getting well, is that, that yeah I'll, I'll jump straight in there. I, I think that going back to the sports comparison, I mean, you know me, I, I don't even like sport, but every second comparison I make is with sport. And so, so if you're playing in a certain sport, you've got to remember what the codes of that sport are. You've got to remember what the rules are. So you play within the rules, otherwise the whistle gets blown and you get sent off the field or whatever it is. So there's always an awareness of whether you're offsides. There's always an awareness when you're playing rugby as to whether you're passing the ball backwards, you know, whatever it is whatever code you're playing, there is an awareness of it, but one needs to be able to, to shift seamlessly between, ultimately between technical awareness and playing in the moment. So there, there's, so, so you should be able to use your training to just check in on your performance and go, am I, you know, am I in the right place here or am I not? Like what's actually happening? And that, that's quite, quite an important and that, that's the hard thing for people to do, ultimately, isn't it? Mm. You know, so, so I think you've got to be able to do both eventually. Yeah. But, but there is, but it is oh, so you, tough, you think it's really tough for this, a young... Sorry, I was Sorry. just going to say, there's definitely this element of checking in. I think it's, it's spoken about by another um, 
acting teacher about that, yeah, you're kind of aware that you are performing. You're not completely losing that. You think there is an element where you're still aware of um, the technical things you're doing on stage or on screen while you're acting. Yeah, well, in as much as you don't walk through a window instead of a door, which mm -hmm. is a technical choice to walk through a door, not a window, you know, I think one has, there is a certain safety element that determines that you've got to be aware of what you're doing. Because you can't just completely lose it on stage because then you'd be outside of the direction, wouldn't you? So it's sort of using your skills to establish your boundaries in the rehearsal process and then to allow yourself to play within those boundaries mm. is what I think is important. Yeah, brilliant. I'm trying to think. We, I always like to ask at the, the end of an interview some, some practical things that people can sort of look up maybe as references is there particular actors probably easiest with with our audience um on film actors or you know screen actors that you think have have nailed it that have kind of what you're talking about um this sort of untidy this very open natural voice um that people can have a look at mm, you put me on the spot i have um no you have put me on the spot I mean, I, I think it varies. I, I don't think anyone ever gets it right completely. Mm. And, and of course one doesn't because nobody stays at the top of their game in sport again permanently. You know, you, you're world number one and then suddenly you're world number five and then you, whatever, you, you bounce around within that realm because life has an effect on your, your body and your psyche continuously, which is why you need to keep training yourself and, and re-evaluating your own practice. Um, so, so that is a hard one. Well, that's right. We can we can come back to that, but um, yeah, it'd be interesting to know if there I, were particular I think people. A lot of Aussie actors have a very comfortable sense of themselves that does actually help them express themselves. I think Aussies are pretty good at expressing themselves. Mm. You know, they say what they think very often, and I think once they start to get into a, it, once their careers start to build, their part of their advantage is that immediacy and and you know, banter, etc., and it, it helps them settle into their work. I think. Mm. Um, I've just got one final question. It's been uh, it's been fantastic talking to you, Donald. Really awesome. Um, I trained with you for three years, um, and even hearing you on this call talking about voice, you're so passionate about it, and I see it, I've seen it in a, in a few teachers. I've, I went to a Larry Moss. Um, masterclass and you see these teachers who manage to stay so so passionate about the craft and what they do what do you think is the reason behind that how do you stay so passionate are you always experimenting always trying to learn more what's the secret to that i yeah it, it's all of that i i think if i if i really look back to it it's when i when i studied acting i didn't really get very much of a grip on voice and then I had this, I, I, I was lucky, I worked for two years, I left drama school and I had good theatre work for two years and then I had the opportunity to travel from South Africa to Australia and study at NIDA under Bill Pepper and just to witness a man who was very passionate about everything he spoke about as a start, you know, so I sort of really had this role model to, to kind of wake up to and then in the process of learning through that time, I, I was just blown away by how much knowledge there was, how, how much there was to find 
that I hadn't unearthed through my university career. And that sort of woke it up in me. And I thought, oh, well, hang on. If I'd known this when I was an actor, I would have, you know, I would have had a very different approach to my work. So I think a lot of my passion comes from just trying to make sure that, that young actors in particular realize what is possible and how, how, how broad the field is for a start. Mm. And then outside of that, you know, when I'm working with television presenters or politicians or whatever, just to try and make voice not seem like a mysterious field, just to say to them, look, breathing is complicated, but actually it's easy. You know what I'm saying? Like once you, once you work out what it is that you need to do, your ability to speak on, on you know, full voice with good breath support, you know, it's easy to activate those things. So, so for me, my passion just comes from the fact that you're continuously meeting people who, who might, who you know, if you teach them properly, you'll open their eyes to something, and that will give them a little bit more confidence to continue on the journey they're on. So it's either the journey of acting, or the journey of television presentation, or the journey of you know political speaking, or whatever. And so you, you're serving them a little bit along the way, mm. and it's it, that that's the passion. Yeah, passion really. is you know to be present to that. And then, I mean, we haven't even spoken about it, but right through my childhood, it was this enormous difference between the way that black South Africans use their voices and the way that white South Africans use their voices. And I found that incredibly, like, as I started to think about voice, I went like, wow, there are whole cultures that express and whole cultures that hold back. And so my interest is in going, how do I help anyone who comes from a culture where they're not naturally expressive to, to find the potency and power of releasing one's ability to communicate. So that, that also sits in underneath that whole, that whole thing. Yeah, brilliant. And if anyone, um, I'm sure lots of people will love this chat, and if they want to sort of find out more about what you're doing, are you on any of the sort of Twitter or the social medias out there or a website that people can check out more about what you're up to? I've got a website which needs lots of updating, but there's, a, there's quite a ton of, it, it currently shares with my children's books and my voice work, so I need to sort that out. But it's donaldwoodburn.com. So there's, there's quite a lot of writing on, on my take on voice on there. There's, I need to do more. I, have, I haven't really done any updating in terms of targeting um, because I, that's become a big part of my life as well. So it, it would be, yeah, that would be the best place to go. My telephone number's on there, etc. Um, so one would be able to make contact with me directly Fantastic. through that as well. Yep. Well, I'll chuck that up on... Um the show notes as well at the bottom of the podcast but um that was brilliant donald thanks so much for taking some time to have a chat thanks andrew and that was my chat with donald woodburn i hope you all enjoyed that got something out of it um if you're feeling inspired and you want to learn more about voice um, or find some ideas for some voice warm-ups or anything to do with acting in general, um, this podcast is brought to you by stagemilk.com, which is a resource that is built purely for helping actors. So jump on the site, stagemilk.com, and um, check out more about voice warm-ups, articulation exercises, a whole bunch of um, awesome stuff is all available on the website. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week. 